Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Digging In, Missouri Farm Bureau's podcast. I'm your guest host this week, Garrett Hawkins, and am humbled and proud to be able to serve as your president. I hope you're enjoying the new voice of our podcast with Ms. Janet Atkinson, uh, our Director of Public Affairs. But this week, I'm stepping in so that we can recap the 2023 legislative session of the Missouri General Assembly. We've talked a lot over the last few months about Missouri Farm Bureau's priority issues, and what better way to recap than having our very own state uh, and local governmental affairs director, Mr. Ben Travelos, join us to to help recap uh, the wins, but also the unfinished business. So, Ben, first and foremost, have you caught up on sleep? (laughs) Uh, that'd be a uh, resounding no. It's going to take some time probably, but that's all right. It's uh, we will get there. So it was definitely uh, an interesting state legislative session, to say the least, and I will get caught up on sleep one of these days. <laughs> interesting is one word that we can use to describe the session. So, Ben, maybe to start, as I think about this, you know, early on at the first of the year, you know, we started this conversation by really talking about the issues that our members had discussed at annual meeting and, and how that dovetailed into crafting a legislative agenda um, with our priorities. And you um, were our face in the Capitol every day, along with Emily Leroy providing backstop uh, assistance for you on a couple of key issues. You had the chance to work with our members during Capital Connection this session, and thank you to all of our members who are listening and those who aren't even. Thank you for participating in that program. Having you in the Capitol every week proved to be critical. But Ben, what do you think, you know, how would you describe the session overall, start to finish? Yeah, you know, uh, I go back to the word interesting. Um, You know, every (laughs) every single Legislative session is unique uh, in of itself. The session was definitely, definitely different than the 2022 state legislative session. You know, the, the 2022 state legislative session uh, was, uh, I would use the word hampered by the redistricting process for congressional maps. This session was, had a different flavor to it. You know, we had some new, uh, new faces in the Senate chamber. We had a freshman class, uh, especially in the House of Representatives. We had new leadership in either chamber as well. And so it was just a bit of a different flavor, to be honest. Um, but still yet, whenever we look at it, you know, there was, I want to say just a right around 40 non-budget related bills that actually made it across the finish line to the governor's desk. And so uh, I need to go back and verify this, but, you know, I want to say that maybe the only other session that had uh, that few of bills make it across the finish line may have been 2020 during COVID. Now, that being said, I, I do, I would be remiss to not mention that those bills that did make it across the finish line, a lot of them were were omnibus packages. You know, a lot of them had multiple different types of, of bills thrown into one package. And so uh, some of those bills definitely were, were multi-provision, but Whenever I look at the 2023 state legislative session, really, I would say that the main focus of the legislature was especially on the state budget. Uh, you know, the they approved a $50 billion budget this year, which is the largest in state history. And, you know, the this budget was significantly uh, ballooned, if you will, uh, in recent years due to federal funding. 
Now we at Missouri Farm Bureau, obviously, we we have our thoughts and opinions when it comes to the federal government injecting the kind of money that they have in the recent years uh, into the economy. But since the dollars were here, uh, the General Assembly did take take leadership and worked to, in our minds, invest in some hard infrastructure that is going to be having a, a true impact on on Missourians for years, decades, and maybe even generations to come. But you make a, a really important overarching point that that this is an unusual time because of the influx of federal dollars that states have received and continue to need to appropriate. And yes, we certainly have our opinion as Congress continues to wrestle with the administration on the debt ceiling and other massive issues. You know, while there are frustrations with spending, my grandpa always used to say, make hay while the sun is shining. And in this case, you try to find a positive outcome, right? And that's steering dollars to be invested in a way that truly makes an impact across generations. And, and Ben, we talk a lot about what it means to bring the kids home. And it's not uh, literal in the sense that we're dragging them home, but what we're talking about is creating and fostering uh, an environment across the state, particularly in our rural communities, that's conducive to growing agriculture, growing small business, et cetera. So talk about the hard infrastructure pieces, because I truly do believe those fall in the bucket of bringing the kids home. Hard infrastructure has a great ROI when we think about the impact, not just in the next few years, but years to come. So what, what were we able to achieve in working with lawmakers in that space? Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the, one of the big projects that's on the forefront of everybody's mind right now is the legislature was able to, able to approve $2.8 billion to widen Interstate 70 to three lanes in both directions from Kansas City to St. Louis. I mean, that's quite honestly, I-70 has been what I would refer to as the 800-pound gorilla that's been staring us in the face whenever it comes to road funding for, for years now. And the fact that the legislature was able to, to really put aside serious dollars to help bring this to fruition was monumental. And Missouri Farm Bureau, we have been at the table uh, since these conversations really began uh, prior to session, whenever there started to be a coalition of of people advocating for serious dollars to be invested to Interstate 70. And we, like I said, we were definitely at the table advocating for I-70 to be expanded. We definitely want to see the expansion happen in the median wherever possible to limit the impact on private property rights. And we'll be continuing to, to beat that drum. Uh, but, you know, something else that uh, is whenever it comes to hard infrastructure investment, yes, we, we were definitely supportive of expanding I-70 to six lanes, but, you know, we got to be able to get to I-70. And we, we went to the legislature and said, yes, we need to be talking about I-70, but we also need to be talking about our rural routes. We need to be talking about our low volume roads. And we were able to work with the legislature to, to uh, see $100 million for the repair and maintenance of low volume roads. I mean, Gary, you know, just as well as anybody, our, our low volume routes are quite literally crumbling before our eyes. And if we're going to uh, as you say, continue to work to bring the kids home in, in the future years and future generations, we need to be making uh, investments in critical infrastructure to ensure that our 
agriculture com uh, economy remains competitive and you got to do that from the ground up starting with your infrastructure so that's those are just a couple of of key items in my mind uh, whenever it comes to transportation funding. You know, Ben, I think back to annual meeting and, you know, you were sitting there with fellow staff and as I was presiding over the business session at annual meeting to hear the, the conversation among our members, the foresight that they had to talk about the need to invest in I-70 wall at the same time, making sure that investments are made in our farm to market roads. And, you know, you think about how that conversation dovetailed right into the conversations you and all of us were having with lawmakers this session. It's a big deal. And it just goes to show the grassroots at work within our organization and how that dovetails right into policy discussions to ultimately try to yield results. I think we really have to give credit to Senator Lincoln Huff. <laughs> uh, many of our farm bureaus know uh, the senator, uh, he's been a Green County Farm Bureau board member and been involved in Cattlemen's, and he truly was, you know, one of the architects uh, of leading this conversation, and we're certainly proud of him and, and just proud, I think, of, of the balance that we're seeing uh, and the infusion of these dollars. Absolutely. So, Ben, also in the infrastructure buckets broadband, uh if that's that's true infrastructure as we think about the future of telecommunications. What happened there? Yep, uh, absolutely. So the the legislature was able to allocate 247 million uh, to Missouri's Office of Broadband Development, uh, where our uh, former Missouri Farm Bureau team member B.J. Tanksley is heading up those efforts. And you know, I, I've heard you Garrett say time and again that you know we. Uh, are long pressed for the need of, of rural Missourians to access affordable high-speed internet. And this $247 million being uh, put forth to help bring, bring that to fruition is definitely another step in the right direction. Although uh, I have a feeling that more work is obviously still needed on that front. And so we will, uh, we're excited to see that, but there is still more work to be done on that front. Always. There is a broadband tour that the uh, the team is going to be out doing from the Office of Broadband. So we'll be, uh, I think BJ Tanksley talked about that on, a, on another podcast. So lots happening there. Also, when I think of hard infrastructure, sometimes it, it, it comes in, in buildings and capacity to do things. Yep. And in this case, uh, animal agriculture saw some wins in the form of capital improvements and investments uh, at our land-grant institution. What, what can you tell us about those, Ben? Yeah, yeah, th this was uh, really awesome to see, honestly. So the Veterinarian Medical Diagnostic Laboratory uh, was able to see $43 million uh, suggested by the legislature and to be put forth for consideration by the governor uh, there at the University of Missouri. And, you know, this Vet Medical Diagnostic Laboratory uh, could potentially really be key to detecting, controlling, and and hopefully quickly eradicating foreign animal diseases whenever they they pop up, uh, while minimizing potentially devastating effects on our agriculture industry. And so these these facilities are going to to serve the entire state and quite honestly the entire region and agricultural community uh, for for decades to come. Another uh, item. Um, Along these lines that we saw through the appropriations process was there was $25 million appropriated to build a new uh, meat laboratory facility that will be used for, for the training and education there at the University of Missouri uh, Columbia campus. And, 
you know, this, this funding is unique. And again, I, I go back to what you said at the uh, earlier, Garrett, about bringing the kids home. You know, this funding will provide opportunities in terms of workforce de development, especially in the agriculture sectors. You know, something else that we uh, probably ought to mention as it pertains to Interstate 70, the American Foods Group coming online, they're around Wright City. They're anticipating uh, about 2,400 head of cattle be processed every single day. I mean, the amount of truck traffic that we're going to see there along the I-70 corridor and the routes heading to I-70 corridor to use that processing facility, uh, we're, we're definitely, again, another reason why we need to see the infrastructure there. But having this these $25 million set aside for the meat laboratory facility there at University of Missouri to train uh, the, the people that want to go into that field uh, of work and having having a career opportunity there in Wright City. I mean, all of these things are are really starting to, to paint the picture here in my mind. I really think so. And again, it, it really is, I think for many of us, a two-edged sword. Um, or a double-edged sword as we think about, you know, precious taxpayer dollars. But in this case, we're seeing really wise allocation uh, that's going to provide true benefit to, to all of Missouri and to agriculture. We also saw funding for Black vulture mitigation as we continue yep. to try to address this threat in the state to, to those of us that raise livestock. Also saw another infusion to, to help agritourism, which continues to be one of the most exciting areas of, of agriculture. Missouri Farm Bureau worked with the legislature last year, right, Ben, to, to work on cost share assistance because one of the major headaches and hurdles is getting signage to promote your business that is approved by MoDOT, right? And, and that can be really costly. And, and so we were able to get additional funding appropriated for that this year to help uh, grow that sector of Missouri's ag and overall economy. So I think those are all really big wins that fall under the bucket of how we bring the kids home and create more opportunity. Yeah. Now, also under the banner of bringing the kids home, you worked directly, Ben, tirelessly with our ag partners I'm trying to help those that want to get into agriculture, um, but have trouble accessing land. So tell us about that, because that was a great example of work across uh, our ag groups to, to deliver something that truly is forward looking. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, their representative, Dane Beal, who is a freshman legislator from uh, Bates County area. Uh, he is a freshman. He's just down the road for me. <laughs> yeah, but not too far from you. He, he's a farmer himself. And, you know, he came into the, the legislative session and, and started a conversation back up as it pertains to the next generation of farmers. And, you know, at the heart of Missouri Farm Bureau members is the, the idea and the dream of being able to pass that farming tradition onto the next generation. And this legislation that we were able to uh, see included in the in both agricultural omnibus bills that made it across the finish line uh, that Representative Dane Deal was was leading the charge on, it's it's really exciting, honestly. You know, here in the state of Missouri, we have different programs on the state and federal level incentivizing beginning farmers from low interest loan programs with the Farm Service Agency, with the Missouri Department of Agriculture through MASBDA, uh, with the Treasurer's Office, there's beginning farmer provisions through NRCS programs, there's even beginning farmer provisions with crop insurance. But in the state of Missouri, there's currently not a 
program that incentivizes established, maybe retiring landowners to work with an eligible beginning producer. So the state of Iowa, Nebraska, Colorado, Pennsylvania, they have a tax credit type program that uh, incentivizes landowners to work with eligible beginning producers. But this program that we were able to see across the finish line uh, during this last state legislative session is truly unique. There's not another program like this in the entire nation, honestly. And what it does is it directly addresses the, the incredible burden of capital gains. And so uh, it allows for an income tax deduction for landowners who sell, lease, or participate in a crop share agreement with a, a beginning farmer or family member. And I do want to emphasize that we specifically crafted this legislation, us and the other agriculture groups, to be twofold. One, to be an opportunity for those that are looking to be the first generation, looking uh, for an opportunity to get their foot into the door and start their dream of running a farming operation, but also too for that for that multi-generational family farm looking to carry on the, the farming tradition. And so that was one of the uh, really exciting provisions included in the agricultural omnibus bills that uh, I, I'm excited to see what impact that can have on the next generation. Is there anything else that you want to mention from the omnibus bills? Yeah, there, there's, that... Yes, yes. There, there were several different things included in the uh, agricultural omnibus bills, and we're excited to be working with the governor now to hopefully see his signature on those bills. Uh, one is the veterinarian student loan program, which uh, will help return large animal and mixed practice veterinarians to rural areas. And so uh, it takes the uh, amount of scholarships from six to 12 and from $20,000 a piece to $30,000 a piece. And so that was really exciting to see that included. Uh, there was uh, also included in there, there was technical corrections to uh, ethanol and biodiesel tax credit language. Um, there was separate legislation also that we were able to work with uh, Representative Brenda Shields and Senator Rusty Black on uh, that increases penalties for individuals who are intentionally and maliciously interfering with the transportation of livestock. And so, you know, from a, a farmer's perspective, obviously the safety of people is always ever on their mind, but also the safety of their livestock. And that includes the transportation of that livestock. And so uh, seeing that bar raised for, for those types of instances was, was definitely encouraging. So definitely a lot of things included in the uh, budget process uh, items included in the agricultural omnibus packages that we were ecstatic to see but uh, I would be remiss to say that um, you know yes we saw some wins but there's still a lot of unfinished business that remains and while yes we just concluded the 2023 state legislative session in my mind the 2024 session has already begun and the work starts now to uh, continue conversations with our legislators and with uh, other stakeholders to continue the conversations on priority issues to Missouri Farm Bureau members. Oh, Ben, that's a nice transition with the time that we have left for this podcast, because, I mean, truly unfinished business is always a theme as we think about the end of every legislative session. I think every organization can, can truly say that. You know, in this case, you know, as I look at the slate of issues that we put forth, it was among the boldest uh, set of issues that we have ever tried to tackle in one legislative session. And I could not be more proud of the work that our members and our team did to advocate for affordable, 
uh, health coverage for farmers and those who have been left behind uh, by state and federal law, namely the Affordable Care Act. You know, as I was in the Capitol testifying on behalf of our members, um, I thought about each and every one of our folks who I've heard through the years talk about how uh, the lack of access to affordable coverage is one of the major drains on a family's budget and truly one of the things that hangs over a farm family's head as they plan year to year. It's an impediment when you think about young people coming home to the farm and you can't access affordable coverage to protect risk in your life. It's a major impediment to families in which a spouse is needed on the farm, but they have to take an off the farm job uh, simply to access insurance for the family, only to find that their take home pay, uh, once you've taken out health coverage, um, once you've provided, taken out daycare, uh, that you really only have a few dollars left for groceries. So that's an issue that as we think about how we bring the kids home, I can tell you undeterred is the word that I think of, uh, Ben, that you're going to hear me talk a lot about, uh, because truly we should be undeterred uh, and truly resolute in our position that, that we as farmers and those who are self-employed also deserve access to affordable coverage. And we have the solution. We know the solution. We know what's worked in six other states, and we're going to bring this right back and carry this conversation forward. And Ben, just thank you to you and Emily for what you've done. And to our members, thank you for being willing to tell your stories and our work's gonna continue. But that's not the only thing that was left undone, was it then? How no. about initial petition reform? Yep, yep, initial petition form still uh, did not get done, unfortunately. There was a lot of progress uh, and different ideas on how to reform the initial petition process. You know, this is a topic that Missouri Farm Bureau members have been uh, helping lead the charge on for for as long as I can remember, as long as I've been around and probably a lot longer uh, before that as well. You know, a, a prime example as to why our members believe the initiative petition process needs to be reformed was Amendment 3 this last this last election cycle, which was uh, the recreational marijuana amendment. And, you know, despite what your opinion is on recreational marijuana, the fact that that is now enshrined in our state's constitution and therefore does not have any legislative oversight should raise some red flags for people. And, and it's that's just one of many examples as to why our members believe that uh, the constitution uh, is, you know, it's not all sacred. It should have the ability to be modified, uh, but it shouldn't be so easy to modify. It shouldn't just be 50% plus one to get a constitutional amendment in. And so what that reform looks like, uh, we, we will see. Uh, there was uh, different ideas, like I said, that were floated this last state legislative session. I anticipate uh, some of those conversations uh, and ideas to continue to be chewed on uh, throughout the interim. And as we head into the 2024 legislative session, and uh, like I said, Missouri Farm Bureau, we will stay uh, at the table on that one to hopefully see some positive reform come uh, in terms of the initiative petition process for constitutional amendments. You know, another item, though, I do really want to flag, Garrett, is the uh, Public Service Commission. Uh, we were able to work with uh, Senator Mike Bernsketter and Representative Mike Hafner uh, to start the conversation on reforming the Public Service Commission itself. And the PSC, you know, they they oversee Missouri's utilities and approved projects that quite honestly depend on using private property rights for the success of their projects. And 
You know, when, when I think about projects like the Grain Belt Express or the Tiger Connector and other projects similar to those, and knowing full well that there are other projects coming at us that are going to be impacting property rights, impacting landowners and the rural way of life, we, we need to have rural representation on the Public Service Commission itself. And these conversations are going to continue. I know that uh, we have several meetings already lined up this summer uh, with, with stakeholders and with legislators to continue this conversation to ensure that property rights are ever on the forefront of people's minds. You know, Ben, as we think back to the past two years um, and the work of this organization and our members really over the last decade, but, you know, property rights have always been at the forefront of who we are as Farm Bureau. And, and as this transformation of the energy sector happens right before our very eyes, I want to assure, reassure our, our listeners that Farm Bureau is working each and every day. To, to protect the interest of landowners while at the same time providing common sense ideas that lead to energy security. So this conversation is far from over. PSC reform is one component. Uh, we'll talk on a future podcast about what the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission is up to as they look to pull uh, authority from the state officials uh, to pull it to Washington, D.C., Ben, this truly is a green web that has been being woven, not just here in the heartland, but all across the country and around the world as people tie climate to, to a whole host of policy decisions. And Missouri is right in the center of it uh, as this uh, transmission superhighway is, is imagined by these officials on the East and West Coast. So much more conversation to come, I think, with our members as we start policy development again, as we think about Commodity Conference in August, and again, continue the conversation of how we, uh, as Farm Bureau, grow our influence and impact uh, in Jefferson City and Washington, D.C. So, Ben, anything you want to wrap up with? I'm ready for some sleep, <laughs> but but at the same time, but at the same time, I'm like I said in my mind, the 2024 session has already begun and ready to start working it and uh, collaborating with our members, and that's something else I do really want to emphasize and and thank the Farm Bureau members that were able to uh, make the trip uh, to Capital City to the state capitol and have conversations with the legislators themselves. It is truly an honor to be able to be the face there in the state capitol on a day to day basis, but. Uh, the, the conversations truly go uh, so much further whenever the members are able to, to show up and, and show that uh, these issues are important enough for them to take time out of their busy schedules and take time away from their families and from their farms that they're coming to the state capitol to talk with legislators. And it, it truly does make a difference. And uh, I really want to thank those that were able to do that this last session. Well said, Ben. I couldn't add anything to it other than, again, thank you. Thank you to our members. Thank you for making Farm Bureau the grassroots organization that we are. You are our predecessors planted this organization with purpose uh, in 1915, and we have been rooted in service since. And that service we saw play out over the last few months. And then when you talk about the work continuing and 2024 already underway, that is music to my ears. So thank you. Uh, thank you again to our listeners. This has been another edition of Digging In. Can't wait to catch up with you again soon. Take care.